If you would turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 to the latter part this morning. Before we do that, I, I need some participation here. I want to ask a question in one word. How would you describe your week? Someone willing to give me a one word answer to how you describe your week? Stressed? Tired? Tiring? Anxiety? Awesome. Wonderful. Herm? Challenging. Praise God, God protected Herm from a wood chipper sending a chip and taking part of his skull. And he's here, praise God, for God's protection. Uh, how else? What are some other words? Busy. Busy. Blessed. Blessed. Anybody say comfort- comfortable? Full of comfort? You would say, oh, reassured. Hmm. I want us to think about the word comfort, comfortable. Do you have a comfortable week? Um, I pray that at the end of this service, when Jay comes up in the worship team, we're going to stand and we're going to do what we usually do at the end of service. We sing. I pray with God's help, we will, we will sing and we'll be able to actually, not just because the words are on there, but our hearts would be welling up, all of us, even those that are usually like, I'm not a singer kind of person. Well, all like the truth will compel us to be singer type of people this afternoon or this morning. And we'll sing then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. As we ponder, when I think that his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Before we do that, let's talk about comfort for a minute. Um, how many of you, with a raise of hands, like comfort? If I could jump right now, I would jump as I raise to get that hand higher. How many of you guys like camping? So if you said comfort, put your hands down. You don't like comfort if you like camping. Um, that was a side. Uh, comfort. Think about comfort in relationships. Do you have comfortable relationships? And then do you have uncomfortable uncomfortable relationships. Yeah. Some relationships are great. And some relationships are great in the same day or they're really comfortable. And some of them are really uncomfortable later in that day. Some of you feel the discomfort because there's a lacking of a relationship. What about finances? Have you ever found finances something comfortable to you? Maybe most of you go, no way, not at all. Now, that subject sends shivers down my spine, or it makes me fearful. Or some of you experience the discomfort from finances, but also can experience comfort when, oh, that I got that bonus, or that unexpected gift, or whatever that was. Oh, that's comfortable. Oh, what about the comfort that's related to health? How many of you would associate or know what I'm talking about when you say, I feel comfortable when it comes down to health. I feel good today. And 
no, my comfort level is really low today because of my health. I know, I know that you're all over the spectrum on that. In this passage of Scripture, this extended passage of Scripture, Paul uses seven words later on when he says tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, discomfort. Last thing I want to ask you is if you were to, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but if you were to rate your life right now in the comfort how you're doing, are you comfortable or uncomfortable in your life? What's your level of comfort? Would you give yourself a one being, oh, it's just really uncomfortable, and 10 would be so amazingly comfortable. I mean, like, I can't, get, I can't imagine it getting more comfortable. Where, where would you put yourself and why? Think about that for a second. And what if I were to say, that your existence in life, your existence is going to have two phases. Phase one will last maybe 70 years, if by reason of health and length, maybe 80 and 90, or 30 or 40. And that's phase one. Phase two, from the end of phase one, Forever. I mean, you want to use a word, I mean, an illustration. Phase one would represent a little thimble full of sand. Phase two, the length of that would be all of the beaches of the world, all of the sand dunes of the world, deserts of the world, times one million. Forever is forever. That's phase two. Let me ask you this, what would be good for you if you had to invest in the comfort of only one of them as a priority, what would be good for you to invest in? Phase one or phase two? Thimbleful, short, yes, 70 years seems long, but 80 years seems long, but forever is forever. God's word calls us to change our perspective on what's good and what is comfort and what is lasting comfort and what is short-term comfort. And I pray that God's word would, would just, with the promises and the truths, the spiritual realities as we faith, face a week that with had words like you guys described, we would have our hearts and our eyes transformed by God's word, God's promises, as we look at this glorious text in Romans 8, especially verse 32. But to set it up, would you look with me at verse 28? It's a very familiar verse. It's an awesome verse. It is not just a cliche verse to use when somebody's suffering, but oh, we need it when we're suffering. But those who love God, he works all things together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That he, they may be the firstborn among many, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And 
For those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who is the one who condemns? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? His answer is no one successfully. They may kill you. Cancer may kill you. Persecutors may kill you. The devil may seek to take your life and in sometimes God has allowed that to happen, and, but he didn't win because no one will separate us from the love of God. There is more than phase one in our lives, in our existence. Phase two begins at our death or when Christ returns, and it goes on forever. So last week, we saw and looked at the passage Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one will ultimately be successful against us. Ultimately. But of course, there's enemies all around us, against us. Question number two is found in verse 32. And the question is, will he not with him graciously give us all things? And and Paul's implied answer is, yes, of course he will. He'll give us all things. I want you to connect verses 28. God works all things together for good. Talks about being conformed in the image of God. And then verse 32, he says, he will give you all things. There's that word, the same word, all things, in verse 28 and verse 32. God is for you, so he will protect you, verse 31 says, against all threats to your ultimate good. That way, that's why we could sing, I'm no longer slaves to fear. I am a child of God. We are no longer slaves to the fear that plagued us if in Christ as sons and daughters of God. But verse 32, since God is for you, he promises to give you all good things. And in this passage, I love this passage. I was reminded that I, was, I walked in this morning and I, I greeted some of the, our dear lady saints that are prayer warriors in this church. And Dorothy and Joy and Ginger were out there and, and I got hugs from them and we were talking about that and I thanked them for prayer. And Dorothy knew that today's passage was 832 and she goes, I read it this week, and I went to it this morning or this this weekend, and she said, oh, I had it marked right next to verse 32, Pastor Daniel's favorite verse. And and so I'm preaching on my favorite verse. Thanks for reminding me, Grandma Mundy. By the way, they're celebrating 70-year anniversary Tuesday. Praise God. Um, Okay. 
Look with me closely at verse 32, and I pray that if it's not your favorite verses, you'd at least say, I could see why it's a favorite verse, and I, I, I could see why I could make it a favorite verse, and it could, go th- it, could, it could last me through suffering and through loss and tribulation and danger and famine and sword, so that I could say, like Paul does at the end, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look at this verse. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? In this passage, you have two, you have two parts. I'm going to take it in reverse order. You have a foundation in the first half. Or I, I want, might even call it a fountainhead. A foundation is it's the support behind the, the other part. It's, it's what roots it. It's what makes the rest of it stand and, and be possible. But I'm going to call it the fountainhead too, which is like the life source. The fountainhead of a water stream is where the water's coming from. Where the promise is coming from is this first half. We're going to look at that second in the sermon. But the second, see the promise at the second half of this verse? The promise is, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You, this is the appeal of a pastor embracing suffering saints and going, God did something us for us so big, he looks them in the eye and says, will he not give us everything we need? Everything? And they look at him with tears in their eyes and say, everything. Here's, here's how I want to summarize this promise. So let's take it in two order. We're going to look at the promise and the foundation. The promise. There's, here's my, in my own words that I think based on this verse in the surrounding context, and well as the Bible, the Father, it's in your notes here on the back sheet of your bulletin, the Father will freely give His children all things necessary for their eternal joy. The Father will give His children all things necessary for their eternal joy. In this passage, He's talking about the Father will give. In fact, if you were to read Romans 8, and I hope many of you have been and are, He talks about when you are saved and in Christ, you are adopted as His sons. And actually, it doesn't say sons and daughters, mainly because in the ancient culture, sons were the inheritors. So male or female, you're his sons in the sense of the biblical sense that you are an inheritor with him. And you're adopted into his family. And that means he has given you an inheritance. He's now your father. He, he puts his nature in you. And according to this passage, he will give you freely, give you all things. And I'm going to think about these two characters in that phrase that I said, father and children. God is our Father. If we are truly Christians, we are His children. He is a Father, and He is a Father like no father. He is a Father that is far greater than any human father you and I have ever had, as even those that have had really good dads. You see, this Father is perfectly wise. He never makes mistakes. My kids know that I am an imperfect and not always wise father. They've been around long enough. And so have your children. But God is wise. 
He always knows. He's never late. He is always, always precise and never miscalculates what is good. And he is rich. He never has to say, I can't afford it. We can't afford it this time. He is always supplied fully. He has the abundance of all things. And he's really good. He is willing and able and will always do what's right. There is not a mixture of sin or selfishness in this father. But he is wise, rich, and good. And you see, verse 29 says, This father is committed to making, if you're his son or daughter, to make you like your big brother Jesus. Look at verse 29. Those whom he predestined, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan is to do that. And look at right before that's verse 28. God works all things for good. Want to know what your good is? Being made like big brother Jesus. Being made like big brother Jesus so you completely trust in the Father. You're humble before Him and a servant. You love others. You're patient. You're completely trusting in Him and you will obey Him to the end because you enjoy sweet and unending fellowship with Him. You're growing Jesus, the firstborn, who is at his right hand and enjoys pleasure forevermore, according to Psalm 16, God's intention is for you and I to be eternally joyful and made like Jesus. And God is so committed to work all things for that end because he loves you so much, he wouldn't give you the second best. And we're his children if, we're his, if we are truly saved. But can you see the contrast between father, perfect, children, Are you perfect? And the answer is we know we're not. We are not wise. We got a little wisdom, but that only comes from God. We aren't rich. We have no abundance, nothing good in and of ourselves that we can ever boast is from us. And we're not good in and of ourselves. In fact, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Now, I want you to see the all-encompassing nature of these, this verse in verse 32. It is, I wrote, it's all-encompassing. It is so expansive. It's so extensive to everything. He will give you all things. All things? That promise, could that be true? For his purpose, which is for our greatest good. We parents always know that when we say all things, that we're going to do good for our kids, that also means I'm not going to give them everything they want. But this passage says he will give us all things. So what does he mean? Now, if, let me use this illustration. If I told my kids, came home this Sunday, and I said, hey, kids, good news. We're all going to England next summer, our dream vacation and we're going to see all of your favorite sites. So start doing some investigating about where your favorite sites are. We're going to go there. 
And, and they get excited. They're, they're thrilled about this. They want to do this. This is exciting. It's going to be a three-week trip and all of this. And then I look at them, and they, they look kind of nervous, or they look kind of disturbed. And I go to one of them, and I say, what's wrong? And they said, well, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, and I'm kind of concerned and worried as I really dig into it that uh, what about passports and the cost and directions to where we're going to go and booking flights and hotel reservations and car rentals and money for souvenirs. I mean, there's a lot, Dad. And what if I replied, hey, don't worry about that. This is my treat. I will freely give you all things. Now, the next few days, now what did I mean here? I meant for this trip. But in the next few days, I see one of my kids getting ready to go to the car, and I say, what are you doing? He said, Dad, let's go to Best Buy. And I say, why? You said you're going to give us all things. And I want to get a TV for every room that I possibly use in this house. And I would say, no, son, because it would be a son. <laughs> when I said I will give you all things, I meant in context of this trip. When God says he will give us all things, he means in the context of what's truly good for us, namely our eternal joy, our being made like Jesus. So I want to dig into that for just a few minutes. This takes paradigm shiftings in our hearts. This is a paradigm shifting or a perspective changing thing. To be honest, the whole gospel is. It turns our world upside down where, where before we're so wired to think, I want to be comfortable today. I want my I want be healthy so I can feel good. I want I want relationships that are comfortable. I want a money situation and job situations that are comfortable. I don't like today's weather because it doesn't make me comfortable or it does. This passage says that you have a God who has so lavishly promised you, his, this father says, I'm going to give you all things in this journey called life. They're in the back of your bulletin. It's going to be most helpful if you have that. If you didn't have a bulletin, I um, hope that you can either take notes or, or just take it in. Here are four things that I, I wrote down this week that I think are, are vital for us to understand lest we misunderstand the all-encompassing nature of this all things. Number one, My greatest good, and I'll add your greatest good, is not my short-term comfort, but a heart that fully enjoys and glorifies. Boy, that takes a miracle of God in our hearts. That, That takes a being conformed into the perfect son of God, little by little, and it happens with the divine power of the God in heaven actually working with this Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Our greatest need is not our short-term comfort. Whether you have it easy this week, whether you feel comfortable about that situation, or that you feel good right now, but your greatest comfort is actually when you find a full enjoyment of your greatest comfort. That's number one. Number two, my greatest comfort in the short term comes as I grow to fully trust and enjoy God and his glory more than any comfort or earthly comfort. Did you catch that? Our greatest comfort in the short term comes 
as you and I grow in the midst of the discomforts of this life to fully trust the God of verse 32, verse 31, and verse 36, all of Romans 8, to fully trust and enjoy that God and his glory more than any earthly comforts. God in his grace cares about us enough so that we can, like Paul, say, I prayed for a thorn in the flesh, an affliction that was hounding me, that's 2 Corinthians 12, over and over again. And I asked God to remove that, prayer, that, that, that affliction in my life. It might have been physical or emotional or both or spiritual. It came from Satan. And, and he said, no, I'm not going to remove it because I love you so much. I care about your long-term comfort in God because I want to show my grace to be sufficient in your life. He ends that passage, says, God didn't take it away, but I rejoice in my weakness because God is shown, shown, Jesus is shown, shown sufficient, adequate, enough in my life. And I have grown to know and love him so that I could say, take earthly comforts, but give me Jesus. So, number two, my greatest comfort in the short term comes as I fully, as I grow to fully trust and enjoy God and his glory more than any other earthly comfort. I do believe these are really important statements that if you took these statements along and you spent some time meditating on verse 32, because that's our memory verse this week, do you ponder those things and then you look at your, your difficulties this week through the lenses of these truths? May God use it to point you to this God. So here's, here's some application to this. Number three and four. My need today, number three, my need today Your need today is to learn to trust and enjoy all that God gives, that's the good and the bad, through the lenses of his love for me, his love for you. We need to learn to trust and enjoy all that God gives, the good and the bad, through the lenses of his love for me. And then, four, my need today is to learn to trust and enjoy all that God withholds the good and the bad, through the lenses of his love for me. The concept of give, God gives and he withholds. How many of you have been in a place where you've prayed for something really hard, you prayed often and regularly because it really is distressing to you? It could be health, it could be a loved one, it could be some affliction or just really difficult work situation, and God has not yet given you what you asked. If you've been in that situation, raise your hand. I think all, almost all of us will say, I've experienced prayers. I've prayed, and God didn't give me what I asked. I want us to think in terms of the fact that verse 32, that God is going to give us all things. That means, I want you to think of this terms. He gives us things, and in giving, he also gives by withholding things. Giving and withholdings in our lives for our good. Now, that takes a lot of faith and trust that he's so good and rich and wise that he knows what he's doing and that he's committed to my good and your good, our truest good, our our phase two comfort. I love what J.I. Packer and Knowing God wrote. Uh, Just so beautiful. Listen to this. This is for those that truly embrace and know this love, a God that's committed this way to give us all things. One day... 
in phase two, that is, one day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased, and that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. What higher assurance do we have than that? I want you to think about right now, I'm sure some of you are in a place where about your family, you think about, your fam- about family situations. And family is a good way to start to think about, God, what have you withheld from me regarding family? What are you giving me with family? Some of you, as you think about family, and you think, did, is God giving me all things through family? Um, the parents who are great and teach you God's word and discipline you is part of God's giving you all things. And the parents who are actually unjust and unloving are bad parents. If we believe that all things work together for good, God in his wise, yet sometimes mysterious mercy can turn those things for good. And so they are part of his withholding of something good in order to maybe draw your heart to the greater father. The children that you feel right now are so overwhelming are still part of God's good things, either with his his giving you trials and giving you blessings, parents, as well. I'm sure there, I know there are some that have been withheld from children. And even those through the lens of this, if we believe that God is giving us all things, God has so worked in your family life with children or no children, in order to pursue your long-term, eternal joy in Him. It could be the marriage to a spouse that you so desperately want and you don't have, or the broken dream of a marriage. You have a marriage, but it is so far from ideal, and it's a disappointment. The giving and trials of blessings that are... these, These trials and blessings are meant for you to make... Heaven greater than, not make earth heaven now. God is in the family and our children and our spouses, our extended family and our church family. And God's ultimate plan is to give us all things so that we would be made like Jesus and not see it all as comfort now. You could say that about our health and our body and our personality. Some of you would say that the things that make me discomfortable is my health. Maybe it's my body image. I I wish I was taller. I wish I was more beautiful, you might say. You might say, I wish I had this kind of personality. I just wish I could think like so-and-so. I wish I could understand the Bible. I wish I could do this. I wish I was made differently. I wish my body worked right. I've had body problems all my life. My body is a mess. It's just wrecked. The testimony of God's word says that is affliction. It is a trial. It is, it is something, but, but God is working all things together for good, and he promises to you that he will give you all good things. I love what John Newton writes, years of health are mercies. Intervals of sicknesses are also mercies. To the flesh, they're not joy, joyous, but they're grievous. But there need be for them and peaceful fruits of righteousness to be gathered from them, if not immediately yet afterwards. Afflictions are either small daily medicines which our physician and best friend sees that our spiritual maladies require, or 
Our sicknesses are furnaces to prove and purify our graces or manifest this power and love to us in us and by us. When God darkens our sky and brings a cloud over us, it is ground on which he designs to paint his covenant rainbow. The rainbow is a beautiful and wonderful appearance, but it is never seen in fair weather. If we had gone to heaven as upon a carpet with all the way, still we should have been losers. He writes that in comfort to a dear sufferer. In fact, he says this, all shall work together for good. Everything is needful that God sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Do we believe that? Do we believe that about our job or our finances or our school or our parents or our affliction and our health? All things are given to us. Is that promise really true? That today you can go home, you can pillow your head tonight and say, Father, thank you that you freely give to me your child all things that are necessary for my eternal joy. Help me to really believe that when the comforts of this life are pulled away and when you give me comforts. Help me to just keep perspective what it's all about. Lastly, could God use my past sins and even my present sins as all things to work together for good, to make me like Jesus and give me eternal joy? Let me say this. You might be sitting here and thinking, what about all my past sins? He couldn't work all those things. I have guilt. I have shame. I have, I'm dealing with the consequences of the troubles in my life and the decisions that I made. Let me tell you this, that the scriptures, I believe, clearly makes it that God is working for your good and really can work and does work even through our sin. That doesn't mean that God is responsible for you when you sin. God is never the author of sin. We can never say that. But God uses our past sinful behavior. We should never go, well, God's going to use my sin, so I'm going to sin, let grace abound. Romans 6 says, may, God, may it never be, never think like that. But I want you to think in terms of all things are given to me, including my past that is troubled and full of my own sins, and I feel the consequences of those sins. And yet my God works all things together for good and he amazingly loves me and he's gracious to me. And he's going to even work those sins in order to humble me and cause me to be more dependent on him, to run to him, to know how weak I am as a sinner and how, need, how needy I am of his grace and that he is good. And as we're going to see in the coming verses in the next week, it is God that justifies. It is Jesus that died for us, that he rose and he's at the right hand interceding for us. What can separate us sinners from the love of God? Well, when we were sinners, he died for us. So let me just park on the foundation before we close. Or let's call it the fountainhead of this promise. Nothing ultimately touches us for our harm. It is the reverse of Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law says what can go wrong will go wrong, right? What can will go wrong, will go wrong. It's, we, it's the skeptic, the grumpy person says that. This passage says, what can go right, will go right for the believer ultimately because God is at work in you. What's the fountain of that? What's the foundation of that? Look at the first part. He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all. Someone asked me what grace is this week, and I said, grace is God's freely giving to us, freely giving his, his favor to us. It's free. And she said, you mean it's free? And I said, yeah, it's free, but it's also really costly. She said, what do you mean it was costly? And I said, he who did not spare his own son, he gave him up for us all. Brothers and sisters, and if you're here right now and you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, I call you to that right now because he can save you. If you find yourself seeing that you're a savior, you're a sinner and you need a savior, I pray that all of us will not, I pray that we will be gripped with a confident assurance and a grateful trust that we were first gripped by God's love. Can I say, and in the logic of this passage. I pray that we would be gripped by the love and logic of, of this passage. See the love in this passage? He did not spare his own son. He gave him for us. We sing songs, what wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Amazing love, how can it be? The father loves his son and enjoys his son. The father isn't some of... Just some stoical, emotionless being in, the, in, in heaven that goes, oh, a job needs to be done. I'm going to send my son. Go take care of it. You're going to rise from the dead emotionless. He has forever enjoyed fellowship with the son. The son has forever enjoyed fellowship. He is the beloved son in whom he is well pleased. The son enjoys the pleasure at, pleasures at his father's right hand. Child. It has nothing compared to the father's love for the son, and yet he gave his son for undeserving enemies and sinners and rebels. How do you know that he loves you, Faith Church? Young people, how do you know he loves you? He gave his son, he did the unthinkable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I pray that the Holy Spirit right now, as I talk about this, would not take very familiar things and just go, oh yeah, we got to get through this and we're going to be done to lunch. He gave his son. And I pray, Spirit of God, would you just help us to be moved and melted by the truth of this love. For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He made the one who knew no sin to become sin on the cross so that we would have the righteousness of God and, be, and have no condemnation for us and be given the Holy Spirit and be adopted as sons and being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ says in Isaiah 53, this Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the Lord's will to crush him. The answer is who killed Jesus? There's many answers to that. We could say sinners the Jews, the Romans, we killed Jesus. 
But maybe one of the most profound answers that the Bible also clearly says is God killed Jesus. God delivered him over to death. He did it in love for us. He did it in love for us. That word, and he gave him up for us all, is actually literally he delivered us up. He delivered him up for us all. Is You go to Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was told to deliver his son Isaac up as a sacrifice. And Isaac said, okay, you said my son was going to be the heir of everything that you promised, but I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. Maybe you'll raise him from the dead. He was about to sacrifice his only son. And God and an angel stopped him. And he said, I now know because you would not spare your son, your only son. Well, the gospel says that God the Father did not spare his son. And he did have him delivered over to be killed for our sake. He was delivered up for our trespasses. Do you see that love? And finally, do you see the logic of this? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. It's, that's the argument. If God is willing to do a hard thing, isn't it logical that he's going to do the easy thing? That's what this, this promise brings out. So do you see the hard thing? Hard thing is he's going, he gave his son to be delivered over for sinners. How much more will he give all things to who are now his sons? So I pray that we, this week, we would say, my greatest good is not my short-term comfort, but that my heart would be fully loving and enjoying all God, all for all of God and glorifying God for, as my greatest comfort, and that I want to fully trust in him, even though these short-term comforts are, are given or withheld. Trials are given or withheld. Because I want to learn to trust in him that all he gives and withholds is for my good. He's giving me all things because I want so badly to be made like Jesus. Oh, I pray that God would give us that spirit. I pray that we'd encourage each other this week with, with prayers towards each other and promises. We're starting this 30-30 this challenge. Let's dig into God's word and so dig out and meditate on what this means that all things are for us to be like Jesus. So let us sing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Let us sing. Let's sing like never before. If you don't feel it yet, just pray that God would help you to feel it. We're going to sing as a closing song, song, How Great Thou Art, your old hymn. And I want to remind you of these words that I started with. And when I think of God, His Son not sparing... I mean, that's Romans 8.32a language. Sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Oh, Father, I pray that you would so work in us to trust in you. This, And I pray that we would we would rest and trust and delight in you more than anything. We would praise you and we would, you would shape us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.